All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk college football with you. This is RCFB Talk 158, where we take your calls and talk about whatever you feel like talking about that's happened in college football. Obviously, week three was interesting. It was supposed to be boring, and we got some interesting stuff happening across the board. So whatever you want to feel like talking about, whether it be an upset, a game, whether it's what's going on in college football coaching or any area of it, we always enjoy hearing from you. So I'm going to go ahead and fire this up, send off the tweet to let people know how they can contribute. If you'd like to talk with us, just hit request in the bottom left corner of the screen, and I will go ahead and let you up so I can see. We have someone who wants to join us already. So, Jack, I'm going to go ahead and let you up. And we can hear what your thoughts are. A lot of things going on. You know, uh, I just want to just take one quick second before we get started. And, and give me just one second, Jack, if you could. Um, yeah, I want no to worries. Just, yeah, no worries. I just forgot I wanted to mention this right at the outset. But one of the, the great coaches and great people in college football passed away today. And I... Unfortunately, it was expected after a very tragic accident. But Buddy Tevens, who was the head coach of Dartmouth most recently, he'd previously been head coach at Maine, at Tulane, at Stanford, where it didn't quite go so well. But immediately after a uh, you know, three-year unsuccessful run at Stanford, where everyone said he was like the nicest guy. I still remember those days. Everyone's like, Stanford's got like the nicest coach, but he isn't good. He goes to his alma mater, back to his alma mater, Dartmouth. And he was there for a number of years, and they let him do what he needed to do. And by the last six years, I mean, he won Dartmouth a share of their first Ivy League title and the first time in, like, 19 years. He won a total of three of those in his final stretch. And then just tragedy. He got hit by a car when he was on a cycling trip with his wife down in Florida. And all accounts where it was terrible. I mean, like, some reports, people were being, you know, respectful of his privacy but the reports that were being released were not good like they were like it's a spinal injury they had to do an above the knee amputation and if you know anything about the medical industry or the medical device or sorry that's my background but anything in health you know that's the the odds of survival go down tremendously if they have to do that and with much tragedy unfortunately he just couldn't he he couldn't come out of it and rehabilitation failed and he passed away today so Again, great guy, all accounts, you know, he removed tackling from Dartmouth. He was the first person to try and do that. Everyone thought he was crazy, and then next thing you know, again, Dartmouth turned around, and he was able to get them into a winner. Um, he hired the first female assistant coach in all of Division One football. That person's now in the NFL as a coach. <clears throat> so, again, just every, by all accounts, everyone who knew him said he was one of the good ones, and, you know, just – Cut early. He was a 66. So I just wanted to take that moment to just say that we're sad to hear about the passing of Buddy Tevens. Great coach, great person, and uh, and to all those who knew him. But sorry about that, Jack. On that, uh, you kind of had to listen to be part of that. But I just, <laughs> on that I just on that note, <laughs> all good. Yeah, rest in peace to uh, Buddy. That's uh, tragic. But on that note, uh, so I'm a Boston College fan. So I was curious Ooh. on your thoughts on the FSU game this past weekend boy oh boy watch that was the game that immediately let us know that this week this past weekend was going to be pure excitement because i mean everyone's like oh these these matches are lame and while there's a school of thought that like you know any road victory is a victory and to some extent of course you know fsu bounces back from that excuse me what's like if FSU bounces back from that, it'll be forgotten. But if anything, you know, that spoke a lot to to BC because I think a lot of people, I mean, you know, they had a, they were just, the defense of BC kept them to just, you know, really low third down conversion rates. They, they lost two fumbles, you know, and they were just, it was ridiculous um, what the BC was able to do them. But it was a bandana game, wasn't it? Red bandana game. Yeah, so it was the Red Bandana game. Um, obviously, we dropped a tough one to NIU to start the season, but we had a weird quarterback situation where we were starting one guy. We started Edmund Moorhead, who was our starter for the last four games of last year, but we brought in the transfer from UCF, uh, Thomas Castellanos, who I thought looked electric. He threw for over 300 yards, rushed for 100 more, combined for two touchdowns on the day. Um, but he absolutely dragged them back in the second half of that game. Our defense, like you mentioned, was able to get th key third-down stops, but... After watching this weekend, I'm not too sure there's a good team in college football at the moment. 
I, I think we're definitely seeing that, particularly with the SEC. We haven't had a real chance to see, because I was looking at schedules, and I've heard this discussion that, you know, the top two teams, Georgia and Michigan, won't really get much of a challenge at this point until, I'd say, November at this point. So it's not even clear how great the top is, and we have contenders that seem to be coming out of everywhere. You know, I just want to go back to BC for a second, because the red bandana thing, I've witnessed in person the red bandana magic happened, and that was when it's awesome. I went to USC at BC, and no way. USC was ranked. And I mean, I've I've been a fan long enough that I can just take a loss, whatever. It's not a big deal. And I, you know, it was fun to watch the BC fans rush the field. But I was like, okay, this red bandana thing, this is real. And every year, Florida State fans almost found out. Like, if you're playing them on a red bandana game, BC is is it's like they play with a, a certain just an, an amazing. I, I, I gotta admit, I've seen it, so it's not it's not it's not BS. It's real. Um, yeah, and I think that speaks a lot for BC. And again, as you said, going back to what you're saying, yeah, is is this a weak season overall, or is this a chaotic season? I'm not sure, but certainly yeah. with the weakness we've been seeing, I mean, Florida State suddenly looks, and the ACC specifically, the Florida State looks suddenly beatable, and you know, Clemson's having its own struggles. So I'm not saying BC is going to take it all, but it certainly seems like BC has an opportunity to do better than they have in previous seasons. All I'm saying is the middle part of our schedule, it kind of, there's a lot of winnable games, a lot of close games. We'll see how they do against Louisville this week on the road, first time on the road. But I mean, there was a world where they went out. If Thomas Castellanos keeps playing and improving, this is only his real third start to the, in his entire career, really since high school. So I don't know. I'm hopes are high, but like you said, weird things happen on red bandana. There's almost a voodoo uh, presence in the air as the FSU fans were joking. Those games are always close and interesting, but uh, I was more encouraged by the loss. Uh, I kind of went in expecting it to get to be a blowout, honestly, but yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, as you pointed out that Louisville being an interesting game to see, but then Virginia, Georgia tech, UConn, I mean, Virginia Tech, I mean, all those teams seem to be quite winnable. Pitt, Pitt doesn't Pittsburgh, look too good God right now either. Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, so so BC seems like yeah. they have a shot now, for sure. I, I see 10-2 and in a Mayo Bowl appearance. That's my call. <laughs> you know, and I hope it – for your sake, I hope that's the case. But certainly, I made, I I made that call months ago. Jeff Hathley's getting the Mayo bath. All I right, love I'm gonna, it. I'm going to bow out here. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jack. It was great hearing from you, man. Oh my goodness! I see Thack wants to join us, and boy, oh boy, do I want to talk to Thack. Uh, he is—he's knowledgeable in college football, but man, he loves his Mizzou Tigers. Thack, what's going on, man? That was hey, that game. Oh goodness, I've been hoping you would call. Man, in. it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. I said it four months ago. I said the SEC is going to be a little crazy. Look at that, man. Uh oh, uh oh, Tennessee losing in the swamp again. Alabama quarterback issues uh-oh georgia coming back strong in the second half looks a little shaky in the first half against a not so great south carolina team but how about them tigers bowback harrison mevis with a 61 yard field goal to kick uh the game winner mizzou students rushed the field uh loser burden had another three in a row 100 yard plus game uh, looks like he might be shaping up to uh, be one of the best receivers in the SEC in only his second year. It is looking nuts uh, in the SEC. What is going on? What can you make of uh, the SEC right now? And uh, I said, I said it about three, uh, three, four months ago. I said, oh, yeah, the SEC, especially the uh, the East, is looking wide open, and nobody believed me. I said, Georgia, Georgia. I said, Alabama, Alabama. Uh-oh, uh-oh, now, and I just want to give a special shout-out to, uh, there was a fellow, a Kansas State uh, fan that calls in here pretty regularly, special teams, you, uh, he's got a pretty large following, he tweeted out about uh, a couple days before the Missouri-Kansas State game, he said if uh, Kansas State would have lost, he was going to deactivate his Twitter account, and, uh, well, you can't find him anymore, so respect to him for actually Wow, oh, man. <laughs> 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 you know, it's always amazing. It's like, you know, old WWF, like a career ending match. I remember when it was like, you know, <laughs> uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Macho Man in a career ending match. And really, it was because Macho Man had signed a deal to go to another. I, that's when you learn years later, like, oh, they were just going to another promotion. It was just kind of they figured a way to write him off the show. But anyway, 
Um, man, I, man I, that is. It was fun. Oh, go ahead. Oh, man, it was fun to watch. Uh, uh, I unfortunately wasn't down there, uh, but uh, but man, it was it was a good time. Um, the other the other cool thing too, man. I, I, other thing I want to get your thoughts on is there's only about two, th- two two teams I can think of right now who who don't have a shot at uh, at making it to an SEC championship game. I I, I believe. Uh, Arkansas, I, I, I don't think uh, at, at this time they would have to do uh, some special magic and obviously Vanderbilt. But other than the rest of that, I mean, Kentucky looks okay. We'll have to see uh, see how they play. I, I, I can't think of a, a team, a definitive teams other than maybe LSU that we're going to see in the SEC championship game this year at this time. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. And I just want to get to that because I think, the SEC seems to be in a down year. Georgia, I, it's it's just hard to tell. As I said kind of at the outset, you know, South Carolina, Spencer Rattler, solid QB. They just eventually kind of figured out how to, I think, corral him, and that's where you see that kind of coaching talent and being stronger in that second half and, and getting control of the game and becoming Georgia and letting that talent sort of uh, take command of the game. So I think South Carolina fans, I want to hope, feel some pride after seeing that game because I'm not saying I know moral victories are a bit of nonsense, but it was a solid, it was a solid outing. And I think it was a real for, especially I know, I wonder if we'll get that, that one Georgia fan who likes to come by. <laughs> um, he, I think we saw a good, a good show. Leggett, I think Georgia got their real test. Leggett looks amazing. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with a couple uh, South Carolina fans on here and I've met through here. Uh, it, it, Leggett looks like an incredible receiver. Obviously, you got Juice Wells that goes down. Uh, it sounds like he re-aggravated uh, an injury that was pestering him. But, uh, I mean, the receiving core looks great. If they can tune up a couple things, they look really good. Yeah, and, you know, I I just want to really touch on a few of the other teams. LSU's the team that was uh, as kind of – I wonder if losing to Florida State sort of, you know, again, whoever lost that camping world kickoff was going to have – the attention taken off of them. Not that we were going to write them off completely, but then Florida State did really well. I mean, it wasn't. A, it didn't seem like a close game. And now look at where we're at a few weeks in. Florida State struggled at BC, and that could have just been a blip in the red bandana voodoo, which I do believe in. But at the same time, LSU is looking stronger as they go along. So is this going to be Brian Kelly's program getting stronger week to week, and then we're going to see a contender for the playoff by the end of the season. I'm curious to see that, but yeah, Alabama is, is definitely a disappointment. I'm very curious to see how they line up against Ole Miss. Um, this could be, if Ole Miss wins, then we're going to see some real, I think at that point, we're going to just say, this is not Alabama's year and people will move on. But yeah, other than Vandy and I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm going to hold off on Arkansas because there's some good Arkansas friends of mine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the Razorbacks are out of it, but <laughs> But Tennessee, you know, was that a blip? I don't know. Was it the swamp voodoo? I mean, we're talking voodoo here. You know, Tennessee going and losing at the swamp. I mean, that's unfortunately, you know, this is a recorded message. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I still remember one of the Tennessee fans in the in the post-game conversation on Reddit had the funniest thing. It's like, I now know what hell is. Hell is going to be me going and watching Tennessee play at the swamp for the rest of my eternal life <laughs> uh, or by, for, for the afterlife. That was his version of hell was going to be watching Tennessee playing in the swamp. Oh, God. But um, gosh, this has been, you know, f- the best thing about this is if you're an SEC fan and you're not a Georgia or, or Alabama fan awesome. necessarily, this is a great time. Oh, it's this awesome. is like the most exciting time. I love it. This is like. Pre two thousand seven, you know, I don't even know. Even go further than that, you know. It, I just remember how exciting it was when I remember when the SEC was just delighted that you know LSU got a portion of the title in two thousand three, and then before that, obviously uh, Tennessee in ninety eight. But now it's like this is like going back to times where it just feels wide open. And so if you're an SEC fan, suddenly everybody has a shot. Um, maybe not the national title, maybe the national title. Who knows? Maybe when you get to the, the playoffs, we'll get some strong teams. But if I'm an SEC fan, this is exciting times, and, and I'm really – I'm enjoying it, and I hope all of you out there are too. Yeah, it, it's cool. Uh, another thought, touch on LSU too. I, I think really interesting test uh, for LSU is going to come uh, in, in week six when they come down to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, 
and face the Tigers. Tigers win uh, win uh, this week in the Dome facing Memphis and facing... Uh, yeah, Denver and then at the Vandy road. the following week. You could have an undefeated uh, Missouri team against a one-loss LSU team that... that yeah, I agree with count. you. That LSU at, at Mizzou game is by far right now, at least in terms of just where the SEC is headed or who the potential surprise contenders could be. That's going to determine a lot. 100%. Well, hey, thank you, Bobak, and... Uh, M-I-Z, M-I-Z. Go, go, go thicker kicker, everybody. Go buy it. Go buy it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that kick, by the way, was the SEC record. It was 61 yards. How astonishing is that? that and the redemption. That was beautiful. I, he, we're going to see him play on Sundays for sure. I, I damn, I yeah, damn sure so. Have a good one, y'all. Yeah, take care, man. Let's see. I tried to let up John, and, and the system did just didn't seem to want to connect, but I've let you up here. Gamecock Superman, it's good to see you, man. How are you doing? How's it going, man? You know, it's uh, it's been a little bit better in Gamecock world, um, I would say. But uh, we'll pull through. We got Mississippi State. What are your thoughts on the game on Saturday? I'd love to hear what you thought watching that. So, I mean, watching the game, obviously, I'm not going to lie and say, you know, I I felt like we were going to be competitive going into it because I really didn't. I thought that, you know, they were just going to blow us out. Um, We struggled to stop the run for a lot for the last couple of years. Um, I thought they would just run it down our throat and be up like 30 to whatever and have Carson Beck taking Snapchats in, in the in the crowd like uh, Stetson Bennett was doing to us last year. Um, but, you know, we, we finished the first half amazing, obviously. Uh, Spencer Rattler was able to, you know, get us up 14 to 3, and I, I really did think that we were going to pull off the upset. Um, a lot of people probably did at that point. But uh, I think you you just saw the lack of uh, depth in the trenches and the lack of a running game. And against a team as good as Georgia up front, it's just hard to play that game where you put everything on your quarterback's shoulders for, you know, four whole quarters. And as good as Spencer Rattler is, you know, he's not Superman. He can't do it all. So... Overall, I was, yeah. I was happy with the performance. Some of the issues that we, we had against UNC looked a lot better, especially on the defensive line. But obviously, you know, when you leave your defense out there and you don't have a lot of depth, I mean, we had guys playing 80, 90 snaps on, uh, on defense. And when you leave them out there, you know, so long – it just becomes difficult for them to stop, stop UGA. Absolutely. You know, and I think that that's what I centered on as well. Like the, just, there's only so much you can do against that level of talent. Like your hope in, especially in depth, your hope with a team like a Georgia is to just build up such a lead that even their speed can't, I mean, they're just not able to process enough points in the half, even if they do come back. But yeah, that was still a that, that first half was an impressive performance by Rattler and, and and obviously the entire team to to limit Georgia to three points. And um, and I mean, but, I I would say like Mississippi State is coming to town on a Saturday night. Obviously, that's kind of an under the radar game this this weekend. But but I think you know if if we can beat them at home, it's our first SEC game at home night game. You know, we can get the season back on track. Just just get back to 500 because, you know, obviously you already talked about it. What I saw from uh, Tennessee didn't exactly look like the world beaters many had projected in the preseason. Um, and, I mean, as, as hard it is, is it is to win in Neyland, um, you know, I you got to feel at least somewhat confident about where your team is at compared to where where they're at right now yeah at the very least i mean and when I, somebody said you know tennessee's lost three of their last five sec games i mean that's i always get a little concerned about that because yeah we're looking back to last season but looking at just how the conference is across the board now that you got georgia out of the way and did a pretty reasonable job against you know the two-time defending champs loaded with talent the rest of the schedule seems there seems to be all games that could be won. 
because there is no team right now that's left on that schedule. Because you got Mississippi State, of course. That'll be interesting to get uh, in the sense of pecking orders. Mississippi State, you know, they they certainly got run over by LSU. But now, you know, Tennessee, Florida, at Mizzou, is Mizzou going to be the big challenger? It seems like we're, we're heading in that direction. I mean, you for know. South Carolina, it always seems to be a big challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that South Carolina fans don't, you know, troll and, you know, fire shots in Mizzou's direction uh, due to, you know, just a lot of people think that they shouldn't be in the in the um, SEC, but. I'll give them credit, man. No matter how bad you think they are, they just seem to own us. So I'm I'm hoping to break that streak. But at this point, I, I just have no idea where in in the SEC East hierarchy every team is at. So, I agree. This is the most know, confusing it, season. In in your opinion, where after Georgia, where do you think the you know the teams fall in the SEC East? Boy, oh boy. At this point, I mean, I I haven't gotten any serious read on Kentucky at this point. Vanderbilt is obviously going to probably be at the bottom. I mean, UNLV took care of business against them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually really want UNLV to be successful. And they did it with a former Mizzou coach, but we'll set that aside for a second. Um, the middle is the toughest part. Was What did we see with Florida? Was it the swamp voodoo? Or is you, the Utah version of Florida the one we're going to see for the rest of the season? Um, Tennessee is similar. I don't know. Was that a blip? Was that just, the again, the swamp voodoo? Or are they going to get it together? I mean, that offense that impressed so many people last year, it, it doesn't quite have that same feeling as we're getting from the Vols this year. They could still be decent enough, and I would expect them to to put together a reasonable season. But yeah, the middle of this is so confusing. I feel like we got George at the top, Vandy at the bottom, and then the middle, I it's it, I just couldn't tell you. I mean, Mizzou at this point seems to be surprising, but it it could be a fool's gold. Who knows? I mean, I'm really looking forward to that LSU game we were just talking well, with about. Brady because- Cook, do we know what what Brady Cook's like injury situation is? Because I saw a post on Twitter saying that he wasn't going to be playing against St. Louis. Do we think that that injury is going to, you know, be lingering throughout the season or or what's kind of the deal with that? You know, I'm not sure, but I have to say when you're questionable versus, say, Memphis, you know, that 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 Memphis team isn't probably going to challenge them that much. I mean, I watch I'm saying that and I just jinxed it because they're playing it. It's I love that it's a neutral site game. And I know Zach top t- talked about that because they're not playing it. I mean, they, they agreed to this a little while ago. Um, but I think they'll want to rest him before he has to play the bulk of the schedule, which is going to be the rest of the SEC. I think that Memphis game, they, I'm not going to say they're going to overlook it, but I could see why they would try to rest up, you know, play that game in St. Louis, get it done. They have Vanderbilt after that. So again, you've got a couple of, of seemingly very winnable games for those Tigers before they play the real, I mean, not the real Tigers. That's not what I meant, but they play the real <laughs> challenge in the LSU Tigers. Oh my goodness. That's not what I meant, Mizzou fans. I swear. Um, <laughs> you know, I see, and, and uh, I, I'm going to get back to Thack again. I see you're in the way, the, the queue, but I want to. I do want to give a couple of other folks a, a chance to speak as well. You know, I'm going to. I want to also let up, and feel free to stick around, uh, uh, Gamecock Superman. I want to let up Bears plus Illinois football, and then after that, I'll let up uh, Andrew Streeter. I see you there. I promise I'll get to you. Um, uh, what's up, Bears plus Illinois football? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. So I just wanted to ask about the situation with Luke Altmeyer in Illinois. Like, Do you think he will have a bounce back after that horrible Penn State performance? Well, Penn State, I mean, if there was going to be, there's, you know, and, and maybe this is just a Big Ten at this point, Penn State seems to be a realistic contender to, to challenge Michigan and Ohio State. I mean, though, those three teams are by far, in a way, it seems to be the top. We're going to get a really good read on Ohio State, by the way, this week. At least they play Notre Dame, and that is a game to be hyped for. But I think Illinois sh- fans shouldn't be too put too much into that game with Penn State. I mean, it was it was a strong team. We're going to see if they can tune up. I mean, they get a couple of Illinois will get a bit of a break, hopefully. I mean, Florida Atlantic. 
Tom Herman, yeah, he can coach at lower division schools. I mean, that's I mean lower uh, lower tier schools. He did great at Houston, which is how he got into Texas. But FAU doesn't look like they're going to be any big of a challenge. Playing at Purdue will be a great opportunity again to let Illinois to see where they are. If they can beat at Purdue, I think then again, it just may be again. We're still early in this season. We're three games in. That Kansas losing to Kansas, it's Kansas is three and zero. Granted. I mean, it's so weird to say, like, again, we can't tell where Kansas is right now. We're, we can't tell where Illinois is right now. Losing to a top 10 Penn State team that is expected to challenge, not only for the Big 12, Big 10, but even have a chance of going to the national championship. If I'm an Illinois fan, I wouldn't read too much into it because, you know, yeah, Altmaier has a bad game, but I, I he should give him an opportunity against some other some teams that might not be as challenging as going for the a top 10 program. I do feel like the only reason Toledo and Kansas were close is because their quarterbacks can just, like, run around. Kind of, like, they can just space out, and they kind of space out our defense. I don't think Belima was prepared for that. But I I did feel like the defense played way better versus Penn State, and that game was a lot closer than the final score. It was 16-7 to for most of the game. But, yeah, I do feel like the defense can make some more improvements in the secondary especially. Yeah, Bielema can coach, so that's the thing. I mean, I, I think he's just still dealing with the fact that this is it's Illinois has always been more difficult. It, it's always been a slightly more difficult thing. I'm not saying it's it's not a basket case program, but he got there and he's doing. You know, he's in his third season. You know, he'll need some time to build it up. I mean, I saw what he did at Wisconsin. I still remember when he was just a terror at Wisconsin, and I think there is enough strength there. I mean. Changing defensive coordinators, not always, you know, again, you're, it, it's still an adjustment for them. But I would, I think Illinois, give them some time. I think this is still a season where they can turn it around. And I think to judge the, the program against a, at a loss, you know, you know, hosting Penn State, that, that's, that's a tough one. But I think that until that may be the toughest game of the entire season, actually, I think about it. Yeah, they, it they miss Ohio State and they miss Michigan. It sucks that it was the third game of the season. That, that, that kind of is. It sets a, a pall, especially after that loss to Kansas. But I think the rest of their season, they should have a shot at each team. I mean, Minnesota, I'm sorry, I just I have to go to Minnesota because I, I did my grad school there, so I still consider them like my second team. They got pantsed by North Carolina. So at this point, you know, who knows who will win in there? But looking across the entire West, I mean, Purdue, Iowa, is Iowa the only was the only ranked team there? And it, it, it still feels weird thinking of Iowa as a potential challenger in any of this. Um, Nebraska, as we know, is certainly a work in progress. Northwestern, you can just write them off at this point. Um, so again, there's a chance for a lot of serious wins for Illinois. I think this is a very winnable schedule. And I think, again, just I would caution for Illini, uh, Illini fans after that, that Penn State game because it was Penn State. Yeah. Hey, Gamecock, Superman, I just saw you unmuted. Do you have a thought on this? Uh, I was going to say, um, or I was going to ask, is, is this the last year of divisions in, in the Big Ten? I, I assume it is, correct? Because next year they're going to be adding, you know, all the all the West Coast teams. I believe so. I'm trying to remember. I think I, I thought they were not changing going- the divisions up. I thought they were going to, like, have a – for a couple years at least. I thought they were just going to move a couple teams to the East for like two years to figure – to give them – That sounds time. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I admit I'm not as super familiar with – I can't remember exactly what they're planning to do, but it seems like eventually we're going to head in some direction where – I don't know if they're going to just do the top two regardless, um, but uh, – Well, my question is do you – I mean, at this point, it, it just feels like the national title is just kind of wide open – do you think this could be the year where the champion of the Big Ten West actually challenges the champion of the Big Ten East? Or or do we not, you know, believe that? Because there, there's some solid teams in the Big Ten West, but just nobody that I would say I feel confident, you know, offensively is going to be able to go toe-to-toe with an Ohio State, a Michigan, or a Penn State, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the year. I, I'm with you on that, Gamecock Superman. I don't know if I could see at this point none of the teams in the the West. 
although it is funny to think of, of Iowa as succeeding again. But, you know, at the same time, none of those teams seem like they could potentially challenge those three in the East. At this point, it's still very much a dominant conference by those three teams. And, and I just I haven't seen anything that's made me think otherwise that we're going to have that. But, the only the only thing I could see is I like just somehow it's Iowa versus Penn State in the championship. I could see Iowa and we'll get a preview of that this week actually, but I could see Iowa pulling off something but like a last second touchdown or something cuz I mean Penn State, I mean they they're really good, but like their quarterback makes a lot of questionable throws I noticed cuz I was at the Illinois Penn State game. I just kind of noticed they make he makes a lot of throws I can't really describe it he kind of just makes questionable throws in my opinion I'm just loving the idea of Iowa doing exactly that grabbing the other team in the big 12 champ if they part big 10 for me championship get making it there and just pulling another team down to the ground with them and just wrestling him into a a low scoring Iowa victory that would be the most perfect for chaos people, for people who just want to love watching teams kind of get embarrassed or or, uh, or or unexpected things happen, that would be the most plausible scenario in my mind almost well, for a, at, at a West Division point, win. I would say, you know, the national title, looking ahead to that maybe, I think I, I don't think the best team in the country is from the SEC this year. I mean, you, you look at Florida State, they struggled at BC, but – what I saw from Florida State is good enough to be anybody in the in the SEC, which is uncommon. And then obviously, you know, you look at the non-conference games SEC teams have played, and it's and it's uh, it's not great the the record uh, this year. Yeah, at this point, it's really hard to say who would be my my playoff four. I mean, I still feel I'm doing a default to Georgia. Um, Texas seems solid. Michigan hasn't really shown us against anybody with a pulse yet. But then, yeah, beyond that, I don't know. Is it Florida State, USC, Ohio State, you know, Washington, by the way? And I've started to say that I've started to, to see them getting hype because no one's paying much attention to them because when they look at the, the Pac-12 has been totally dominated by, you know, Dion. The Dion show is is stealing everybody's thunder, basically west of the Rockies. For better or worse, it's great if you want to be under the radar. But my goodness, I mean, uh, Michael Penix Jr. is actually putting up some insane numbers against the teams he's playing. And granted, Michigan State was reeling, but they went and just absolutely brutalized Michigan State on the road. And again, Michigan State's got some serious problems with what's been going on. But that was unexpected. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing how they're going to do hosting Cal. Because they got Cal uh, this week. We're going to have actually a photographer on the field for that one. I'm looking forward to that. But I'm very curious to see how they're going the, to do. And the USC, uh, the USC Colorado game is a 9 a.m. local time kick. Is that yes? That's correct? bonkers. I couldn't believe that they just announced that today. They're going to have, um, they're going to have a lot of cover. I mean, they're going to, they, I guess, uh, they're going to have Fox. Um, I always forget Fox Big Show there or whatever it is. They're going to have noon. their big noon, and yeah, it's going to be a noon kickoff. When I heard that noon Eastern, I'm like, that's a Mountain Time Zone. That's going to be crazy early. So it'll be like 10. But um, yeah, that should be a fun one for all those fans on the West Coast who have to wake up super early to watch that marquee matchup. Oh, goodness. But, um, you know, and I just want to say, Ski Mask Smurphy, what's up? I know I let you up here. I just wanted to, to hear your thoughts. What's going on, man? Oh, well, I guess, especially talking about Dion, I think the first thing, we owe an apology to the guy last week who asked what would happen at CSU could be Colorado and we all said there's no chance in hell of that happening and one play one play goes the right way and CSU would have won that game but yeah as far as the Pac-12 well the top of every conference right now everything's looking pretty wide open and picking a playoff for is difficult I mean before going into last week before going into last week we would have said you know Georgia and probably Alabama would still be in that race but I mean even though South Carolina does have a great quarterback in Spencer Rattler. We didn't think Georgia was going to struggle with those guys the way they did. And then I watched from – well, I didn't watch the whole game. I watched everything after the rain delay with Alabama versus South Florida. And by God, like, I, I was on Twi Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, and players formerly who played in the SEC were answering the question of, like, no one's afraid of 
no one's afraid of Alabama anymore. They see them as being the normal team now that everyone can beat. And South Florida definitely showed it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Alabama, this is just without a strong quarterback, Alabama is just does not know what to do right now. It seems like they lean heavily on the running game to kind of get them their, themselves out of it. And maybe that's what they're going to have to do. That's going to be their identity now after this. But I know they named, um, oh, they, they, uh, what's his name? Mil, uh, Milrow. Milrow Milro is a starter back. this week. So we'll see here. But I think this has been a bit of a, a sl- an unexpected bust for them. Because, I mean, they brought the quarterback from Notre Dame, the Butchner. They, you know, Simpson didn't quite work, isn't quite ready yet. So, again, I think this is just a bit of a, a sometimes you, I guess, you know, you pull the, you pull the slot machine, you put the arm, pull the arm in the slot machine, and it doesn't work out. And um, this might be a down year for Alabama. But, of course, at the same time, man, USF fans had to been so thrilled. That was, oh, my goodness. I think all of us were paying attention to that game when that started, those scores started to come out. You know, I see uh, Bears, Illinois football. You wanted to add something real quick? I, I just wanted, this came to my mind when we were talking about the Pac-12. Is it just me or is the Colorado hype just out of control? Oh, it is totally. It's absolutely fascinating. It's ridiculous. You know, somebody put it this way, and I'm glad because it confirms what I felt was a biased opinion on my own part because I'm a USC alumnus. I I I graduated way back when we were awful in 2000. But I I remember the hype when Pete Carroll and Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush and it was like Snoop Dogg on the sideline and all the other celebrities <laughs> on the sideline. And that was before, you know, Twitter. That was before social media was like it is now. Dion's actually like Colorado is suddenly not only there, but magnified by the fact that, I mean, he and his son are both excellent interviews. I mean, his son really knows how to handle the camera. I mean, the stuff he was doing was beautiful in those interviews. And I say that, like, because it's entertainment. I'm going to be honest. I still see college sports, uh, the E and ESPN. You know, I see it as entertainment in a lot of ways. And they know how to make it entertainment. I mean, it's like it, it, I, it was one of those perfect games as it was going into overtime for people to start reusing that, that clip from Gladiator. Are you not entertained? You know, I mean. You come to this sport because you want entertainment, and then not only that, the proof is in the is in the the ratings. I mean, they had like over nine million people tune into a game that was kicking off at like what ten p.m. Eastern at eleven p.m. Eastern. They had like over ten million. It peaked at over ten million, eleven million people watching that game. That's incredible. That that is unprecedented. Um, So hold up, were you were you gonna say something? Oh, I was just going to say, I believe they said the first two Colorado games actually got more viewership than Sunday Night Football, which in terms of sports is like nothing outdoes Sunday Night Football outside the Super Bowl, which lets you know, like, whatever Dion's doing at Colorado, he's doing something that, as as you just said, hasn't been done since Pete Curl, where it's like, hey, as a college coach, I'm going to be the star and my players are also going to be stars. Yeah, and this is almost, I would say, different than Carol. Carol is just sort of like his own thing, his own like. Dion is his own, like, is on a whole other ball game. And if he's able to keep, you know, winning, and, and granted that Colorado State game shouldn't have been that close. And, you know, Colorado State was really, their penalties almost deserve a, a, a big assist in, in how that went down, um, you know, as we remember there. But, uh but yeah, that was just a, that was such a striking game. I know Gamecock Superman. You wanted to add something to this. Well, then, one gonna... one question I I do have to add to this kind of Dion talk is, I know you know, the the hype is 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 big. Obviously, the the viewership would would uh, indicate that. But my question to you is, do you think that Dion Sanders is gonna stay at Colorado long term? Because, I mean, the Colorado job was kind of just like, you know, they were one of the worst uh, programs in the Power Five last year and, you know, many years before that. And they just were like, we're going to roll the dice, take a gamble, and we're just going to hire Dion and, and see how it works out. And obviously, you know, uh, adding 87 transfer players, basically flipping your entire roster is something nobody has ever done. Uh, up until this point in college football, it seems to be working, you know, as well as it it could have up, 
you know, three games into the season. But my question to you is, you know, obviously he's going to be getting interest and offers from, uh, you know, bigger name brands later down the road. Do, do you think Dion sees that at, this is kind of a stepping stone or, or do you think he's he's at Colorado, you know, for for the long term? That's a great question. I'm going to say part of it is, you know, Dion, we talked about this, I think, a little last week. He's in the position to not necessarily be in a rush to move anywhere for any financial reasons. The guy is already super successful. So it's really more what he wants. And obviously, I can't speak for him, but I'm, I'd be curious. I mean, what is the future for him? Does he want to go to a bigger college program? Does he want to go to the NFL? Does he want to see what he could build at a place like Colorado where they clearly appreciate him? And this has been a fit better than I think anyone expected. I, I don't, you hear the stories of what's going on in Boulder. You get, you know, how, you know, just the entire excitement. Um, getting 60 minutes to show up, getting all of this hype, getting, you know, the Fox and the ESPN shows to both show up. It's so tough. I mean, and it could cool a little bit. I mean, it's a tall order to go and play a good Oregon team in Autzen. Autzen's such a hostile stadium. If you've never been to a game there, it's spectacular. It's not that big, but that entire stadium is designed just to be a very hostile environment for the opposing team on the field. And it's just a beautiful area to go to. So I think they're hitting the gauntlet now of playing back to back at Oregon and then hosting USC. That's, I mean, considering what happened at Colorado state, considering, you know, hunters injured, I I'm thinking they may not have a big success in those two games. I could be wrong. I mean, gosh, knows it's proved so many people wrong. All season long, but you know that might cool it a little bit. So we'll see where he feels. But right now, at the at the uh, this may be I don't know if this is going to be the peak of the hype and the fire behind this this program and behind Dion. But I'm not I'm not entirely sure. And I know we have two hands up that want to touch in on this. And then I do want to let Todd up. But uh, let's go with you, Ski Masks Murphy. You had your hand up first, and then we'll get to you, Bears plus Illinois football. Yeah, I mean, after we mentioned it last week, it was either during the 60 Minutes interview or some other time he was talking last week, he did state that at least Dion has said he's not going to go to the NFL. So at least on that end, we know he's not going to move up. But I don't, I don't see him really moving to another school because he's really going to still be in a power conference and just knowing that from being on a college campus myself at the University of Michigan, like seeing how much the local community can pour into a school and Boulder also having like a very pretty high average household income. I think the people there are probably going to do whatever, right, whatever number it really takes to keep them there, as long as it doesn't get too outrageous. I don't see him moving for the near future. I think he's staying put for probably the next five to six years. Well, that'll be an interesting one. We'll see that. And let's see here. Bears plus Illinois football. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so I was just going to add about like the whole big noon ESPN game day type thing. If you um heard, so big noon was supposed to come to Champaign. And then they like flip flopped it last second and decided they were going to go to Colorado when game day was already going there. People in Illinois paid like $2,300 to get like a tent to be on TV or whatever, and they still haven't paid that back yet. So Big Noon kickoff right now is getting, like, bashed by the entire Big Ten right now. Have you heard anything about this yet? I haven't, but that sounds like a very – I could totally see. Those shows are so tricky with that, how yeah, exactly. how quickly it can move from place to place. But that that stinks for fans, and, and I sympathize with that, especially with the excitement. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's see here. Todd, you've been really patient. What's going on, man? No, I just want to – thanks for having me on. I just wanted to comment on the Colorado situation with Dion. Sure. Um, I wanted to say that I agree – sorry, my daughter, give me one second. I just been there, been I there. I just want to say I'm a father of two. I know exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah no well, I, did you remember – by the way, do you remember during the pandemic when that one coach called into the show and Nick, with Nick Saban and he was just looked like a, a new dad and he looked like – the. <laughs> If you've never seen it, look up the the baby uh, the baby interview with uh, with Nick Saban, um, like and the, the the reporter and the lighting was just terrible. He looked like a man who had been through hell on earth, and anyone who's had a newborn 
knows exactly that feeling. But oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean I to say that, that but Todd, no, no, but that, no, no, that warmed good. my heart. I appreciate, I appreciate it. No, thank you. I, I just wanted to say on the Colorado situation, I agree with uh, Ski Mask. I think Colorado was in a very good position with Dion because they were like that, that school that gave Dion the chance to move up and coach at a higher level. And so I think Dion is very appreciative. And we all know that Dion's going to get other, other bigger schools are going to come calling. Um, try to get Dion pulled away. But realistically, Dion will have to stay at Colorado for, what, another two years, Shadur is, what, a sophomore this year? Am I correct? Is he a sophomore? Junior, I believe. Oh, oh, he is a junior. Okay. Well, I figured he would at the – for some reason, I thought he was a sophomore. So I figured Dion would definitely be there for at least two more years because – Shooter is not going to be able to transfer again. Um, but, no, Colorado's in a great position with him, and it's just really wild to think about. Like like, like you guys have stated, like what coaches have ever done that where they just completely gutted a roster and brought in new guys, and they're already having so much success. And I think I believe I had saw that Colorado was um, only favored to win, what, like four games this year? Yeah. So I think that's great, and I'm really happy for Colorado in the sense of, you know, before the season when they uh, announced that they were leaving the Pac-12, all the slander that they had gotten from Pac-12 fans and, like, Dan Lane and coming out and saying, what has Colorado ever won, um, why they were here, so it's not <laughs> yeah. a loss to uh, lose them. So I- I'm cheering for, for uh, Dion and Colorado in that sense, and I think Colorado's kind of become, like, America's college team. Like, everyone is so intrigued. Um, just because they want to see them thrive, or you have the Dion haters that tune into the games that just want to yeah. waiting to see them fall. You know what I mean? So yeah, I know what you mean. I love it because yeah, Colorado's kind of in that position where I think they're attracting a lot of casual fans, people who just don't care about college football. They're primarily NFL, and yeah, you see a lot of people tuning in who aren't typically people who report on college sports. I mean. I know, for example, Stuart Mandel was noticing, like, you know, Bill Simmons, who never comments on college football, was suddenly following the game that night. And and just the numbers that we're seeing on the TV ratings. So I think they're attracting a lot of fans who are big. I remember I was actually covering a game this weekend. I was at, you know, a Major League Baseball target field, but it was hosting South Dakota State, the reigning um, uh, FCS champions. They were hosting basically a scrimmage against a non-scholarship Pioneer team, but Pioneer football team. But I was just talking with just casually getting on the media elevator and somebody who is a local TV person doesn't really call follow college football a whole lot. All they wanted to do was just talk to me about Deion Sanders. And I was like, you know, I don't mind, but I'm thinking to myself, this is a great, this is a sign. This is like, again, it's kind of that casual fire that started to happen around USC in that 2005 season, but it's magnified by, by so much going on. And you have a coach who's so good at speaking um, to 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 the media and to getting that kind of attention and was always good at it before, but now he's got a winning team and he's got all this attention on him. Um, what we started to see clearly at Jackson State is now you know magnified even more. It is so when you say it's America's team, I know there's going to be a lot of fans who are going to suddenly get like what no cringe you know, but at the same time I get where that comes from because it, it's that casual fandom that's coming in. That that's suddenly paying attention to a Colorado team that was awful last year. I mean, and awful for quite some time. Although I have to say, some Colorado fans are very happy that Mel Tucker got poached from them by Michigan State. I, I want to just say that they, those fans are thrilled that Michigan State took Mel Tucker away from them. But um, yeah, this is just it is something else to watch this go. And I think you're right. So many people also want to see Dion fail. I mean, I. Danny Cannell caught a lot of heat for some of the tweets he's been doing about um, about really just wanting to see Colorado fail. So he's like the other extreme in all of this, or an example of that other. But it's certainly not hurting for bringing eyeballs to every game they play, that's for sure. Well, and I also wanted to say one more thing, I think it makes it even more special, is this year is probably the deepest the Pac-12 has been in a very long time. So the fact that, you know, and I know they haven't gotten into conference play yet, and they have USC and Oregon coming up in the next, what, two, three weeks. But I think it's going to be, you know, like I said, no one thought anything of Colorado heading into the season. And if Colorado can find a way to stay healthy because they're very thin at certain positions – 
they can stay healthy, I really think that they can compete with the Oregons, the USC's, and the Washingtons, and maybe even Oregon State for a, a chance to make the conference championship game. So, coming from a fan whose team is in the Big Twelve, I am rooting for Colorado, um, and I hope that they can do great things this year. Absolutely, and just one thing I wanted to also touch on before I forget that roster change. That you know, as you said, you know, no team's ever done a a new roster the way Colorado did. The only team that's even come close is Texas state. And they're the ones that came out and shocked Baylor and, and gave UTSA a a really close game. So those are the two teams. I mean, it was a pretty big distance between number one, Colorado and number two, in terms of sheer numbers of players, Texas state. But if these two teams have overall good seasons, you know, there are other coaches paying real close attention to this, particularly if they're hired by a new program and they just decide to go, you know, full on Dion style or somewhere in between, it certainly seems, um, it certainly seems something very like, very likely we're going to see more of. Well, another, another question I have that sort of relates to the transfer portal and, and things of that nature is we, we just talked about Michigan state. My question is, do you know if, once Mel, now that Mel Tucker is fired and no longer at Michigan State, do players within Michigan State's roster are they able to transfer mid-season, thirty days? Like, you know, yeah. So, if, if, if he's officially fired, yeah. Once he's officially fired, yeah, they so, so they're so they're immediately eligible. So you could have kind of like a. A, a trade slash transfer type of situation where other teams are getting players off of a, another program's roster and they're immediately eligible to play. Well, not during the season, but yeah, the next season. That's okay. I think that's, that's been a exactly rule for a very yeah. long time. Okay. The same thing happened with um, uh, crap. What is that school? SMU. Like once they got a death penalty. All the players have 30 days, you're going to be able to play next season. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to have 30 days to other schools can start reaching out to them and, and attempting to recruit them without penalty. So, I, I, you know, that's happening probably at this point. Um, and, or was he officially fired? Has he, I know they've said they're going to officially fire him. I don't know if they've technically pulled that trigger. But the moment well, that they're waiting, last they're week. waiting until the investigation's done. Yeah. They have to the, wait until that fifth to avoid another bigger lawsuit. Because I think they're trying to fire him for cause. Is that correct? And, and oh yeah, absolutely. For absolutely, the they, they've said that is their intent. Cause is is different than just paying his buyout, right? I thought they yeah, came exactly. out today and said that they officially fired him. Am, am I wrong? Did I read it wrong? No, that, I, that I think you. I think I can't remember if they said they are planning to fire him for cause or if they have straight out fired him for cause. But um, oh, I should have had that ready in front of me. I apologize. I know that that is their intention, though. They want to. They've said that, and and they're just waiting. Part of it is they do want to. If you're trade ninety million dollars and the lawsuits on the line, you do want to make sure you do it the way that is most favorable to your side. And I say that as someone who, if I were in their position, for sure. Um, yeah, I want to. Uh, I, again, I want to. As we're kind of getting closer to the hour, I want to let a couple of other folks get a chance to speak here. Um, Andrew Gilmore, you've been super patient. What's up? Uh, Andrew Gilmore, if you get a chance, hit unmute. I'm also going to let up John. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, wait, Andrew, it looks like sorry you unmuted. That. What's going on? No worries. It happens. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, hey, uh, question or just two quick questions for you. Is Tom the offensive coordinator in Alabama in 2020? And how, how money do you think it will take to lure Dante from UCLA to Alabama? Because there's, I don't think there's any chance that UCLA has booster nil money to to keep keep him that's my question <laughs> you know and i apologize it it chopped out on the person you were suggesting becoming the offensive coordinator for alabama who who are you suggesting um I, my question was is is tommy reese going to be there in 2024 and at quarterback oh yeah at quarterback would yeah. alabama try to lure a guy like dante Moore there um, yeah, I yeah, no, no, I got yeah, the UCLA yeah. one. That one's great. Yeah. I love that because no, UCLA doesn't have boosters that would ever match anything that Alabama would throw at UCLA. If it's hoops, yeah, you might get some money to show up, but 
UCLA football is uh, sleeping giant. Would put it would be would be giving them a lot of credit. I mean, they have been okay in in previous years, but yeah, no, UCLA would always lose a battle to to Alabama or any serious SEC team that want to go after one of their QBs. In my opinion, I think if Alabama did, they would now. The Tommy Reese question will let the season kind of pan out. You know, if you don't have a strong quarterback, it does make your offense look bad in general. Um, and, and it, you know, that certainly seems to be what's going on in Alabama. So we'll give him the full the full length of the season. I think I could imagine Coach Saban is going to probably do the same thing and just sort of assess, assess, assess as it goes on. He's smart. He'll do that. I, I have a lot of faith in in him, I mean, uh, he's he's yet to make me think like he doesn't know what he's doing. So, and as a CEO style coach who loves to focus himself on recruiting, I think he'll he'll make that call um, as we develop in. But no, I, I would that's I, as a uh, as a fan of the rival University of UCLA. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I don't think they would ever be able to stop you if you did. <laughs> but. Um, goodness hey john what's going on i see you're up here as well hey man how you doing tonight good how are you i got on a little late tonight actually was uh i got to see uh the braves play in person i'm traveling for work and so got to see a Braves game yeah so yeah that's the only reason big reason i came in late tonight i just got back to the hotel um but yeah hey my question for you is tonight so who do you think is more nervous after this last weekend of football uh the big 12 or the acc considering some of the frankly, piss-poor performances from the teams on both sides. You know, Stanford lost to Sacramento State. Cal was struggling against Idaho. I mean, there's a two-score win against Idaho is not really convincing. But then on the flip side, you know, the Big 12 had a lot of bad losses this weekend. And that, and, you know, with their strongest schools leaving the conference. So I guess I guess the question is, who is more in a panic mode right now, the Big 12 or the ACC? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. I think the Big 12 right now is a little more embarrassed because it looks like the two teams they didn't want to be the strongest teams currently, Texas and Oklahoma, are the only ranked teams, and they look the most dominating. Now, BYU pulled a surprise, maybe somewhat of us, maybe not a big surprise, on Arkansas. So suddenly they look like they're one of these squirrely outside contenders. They've got Slovis. By the way, Slovis is fun to talk about, the kid in Slovis, because he was at USC, he transfers out, goes to Pitt, where he didn't seem like he was doing well. He goes to BYU and looks great. Now Pitt just seems to not be able to have good quarterbacks. And part of it is they change offensive coordinators. So maybe that was the big thing. Maybe that was the big change. It wasn't the quarterback play. It was the offensive coordinator at Pitt. But we'll set that aside for a second. Kansas is 3-0, and but I don't know if I'm going to say they're going to challenge Texas and Oklahoma at this point. Oklahoma really starting to look like the real deal um, each game that passes. But again, they need, I'm looking forward to seeing um, more of a challenge there. And Texas, are we going to now realize that with all this talk about Alabama not being quite the Alabama, are we going to look back at that victory and kind of go, well, huh? You know, is, is it going to be one of those? We'll see. But um, it's ex- I think the Big 12 is definitely in a more awkward position only because those are the two leads. And they seem to be the, the stronger programs at the moment. Yeah. ACC, I mean, we talked about this early on. We talked about Florida State at BC. BC has weird voodoo when they wear those red bandanas. And it was a red bandana game. I, as I said, I've been at a red bandana game where a ranked team that I was a fan of lost to an unranked, like, one and two BC team because they were in the red bandanas and whatever. It just makes them play at an extra level. But, you know, watching what North Carolina did to Minnesota just – Took them out. They're not going to be there. You know, Minnesota is, is not. Once again, they're going to be a middle team again this season or middle to lower team in the Big Ten. Duke is their version of the uh, the unexpected 3-0 and team. And Miami is, is apparently ranked again. I mean, this is, I think, this is an exciting time. All three of the big Florida schools are ranked for the first time in many years. Uh, Florida State, Florida, and Miami all ranked at once. Who knew? So I... I I think the ACC, I'm going to give them a slight edge here this week, but it, it's, it will let the season develop out before I say one season's one of those teams is looking worse than the other. Todd, I know you wanted oh. to add something. Oh. And then oh, I'll get back just, to you, John, I, I promise. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on your OU and Texas thing. I mean, look at last year. Before we can really get all hyped up on Oklahoma, I mean, they started last year 3-0. and They just dominated non-conference and got into conference and just – 
dropped like dropped down the standings left and right. So I think it might be uh, OU does look really good right now. Their offense looks like they're much improved from last year, and their defense looks much improved as well. But they're just they're they're one of those teams that are just kind of like you really don't know yet. And I'll be damned if I'll say Texas is good yet because it's just like an every year thing for Texas. They get you know I mean like you know they they're super hyped up at the beginning of the year and then they end up dropping two or three games that they shouldn't drop. And so that's my thing with Texas. Overall, they're by far the most talented roster in the Big 12, but they're just going to find a way to lose a game or two that they shouldn't lose, and I would not be surprised if they don't even make the conference championship. Well, at this point, they're going to have the more interesting lead-up to the Red River shootout. I think they're going to have, with at Baylor and Kansas, they're going to have a little bit more of an interesting path because Oklahoma – you know, Cincinnati's looking so weak right now because they granted it was a rivalry game, but it was still Miami of Ohio and Iowa State. The less said about them, the better at this point. So I think, um, yeah, it'll, it's going to be interesting. And, and it looks like the, the Red River shootout will probably designate it and we'll see how those two teams do from there. You know, I want to give an opportunity. John, I know you wanted to add something and then I want to get. Yeah, to of course. Um, I'll be quick. I was going to say that uh, that Kansas Mentioned, you mentioned me uh, undefeated. It's a very shaky 3-0 right now because you probably saw over the weekend, they, they barely beat Nevada. And anyone who's been paying attention knows Nevada is awful this year. Oh, I mean, yeah. They're the team that got clobbered I, by an FCS oh, team the yeah, previous the, the week. Idaho. Like not, like, I wouldn't I want say a great FCS team. Like Idaho blew them out. By you know, 20, yeah, and I know hasn't been awful uh, since they dropped. Yeah, they've down. been awful. The awful. big skies seem yeah. to be a better fit for them, at least in terms of competition. But, uh, this, uh, Idaho, you know, trying to be the you know trying to be the giant killer FCS of this year, man. They've been playing kind of close to a lot of Power Five teams. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ray, what's going on? What's your what's on your mind? Hey there, what's up? Uh, first time listener, long time caller. Um, who would you rather be right now, Matt Campbell or Dave Aranda? Oh boy, you know Matt Campbell seems to is seems to always have a safer position because Iowa State's expectations are not astronomical. It just always seems like they anytime you can. I, I think Baylor's got higher expectations than Iowa State just overall. So I'll, I'll say I'd rather be Matt Campbell because he's got. I'm very curious to see. I mean, because after what happened with Oklahoma State, holy cow, we haven't really talked about them. But this whole three quarterback thing is just not working. And and has have we reached a point where Gundy's been there too long? I don't know if we can say that because it's only a few years ago they were looking pretty good. But this this Iowa State Oklahoma State's like the ugly curiosity game. Like which team is doing worse right now? And I want to see them play. It's like uh, I'll be there on Saturday to report it for you, buddy. I'll let you know. I'm 20 minutes from Jack Trice. I went to school at Oklahoma State, so I'll be at the game. I I, I honestly don't think either team will score more than 10 points, and that's <laughs> yeah. being nice. <laughs> is Matt Campbell the coach that's fumbled the bag the most out of any coach ever? In in what way? Just like not being able to take a, a new position, or just with with like coaching turn, Iowa turning State, turning down uh, positions. Oh yeah, before to stay at Iowa State. Yeah, you know, it's he. Maybe he's just one of these guys that just likes what he's got going there. Because again, the expectations at Iowa State are always going to be more reasonable than some of these other programs that were courting him. Because if you go into some programs, you know. The expectations are, are quite high, and 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 what what passes at Iowa State because I still remember watching the Iowa State season where Seneca Wallace was their quarterback, and they were just so thrilled to get to this certain point. And then the rest of the season they collapsed to like six and six. They started like five and one, and then finished six and six, and they were so happy. That program, those fans, they were incredibly high. So there's a level of expectation there that makes it a little more reasonable. So I, I could see why Matt Campbell and also frankly, you know, they've got a close, they, they clearly like him there. They're putting in investment in that program. They're doing all that cool stuff around the stadium and Ames. So maybe he just likes what's being built there and he feels like he's more involved. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because I mean, Kirk Ferentz is a great example. How many times has he, there were people that pursued him over the years and he's now like the longest tenured coach of any school in, in the United in FBS right now. So it's interesting stuff. I don't know. Maybe there's something in the water in Iowa, you know? It's <laughs> Speaking of tenured coaches, you mentioned Mike Gundy. And then me being a TCU guy, it feels like Gundy's on his Gary Patterson run. Where, 
Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. I, 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 I get that analogy. And I wonder if we're at that point. Has he stayed? Has he over, simply overstayed? He made Oklahoma State terrifying for so many years. But we'll see how this season pans out. But this is definitely the, the first several games in. It, it's not looking great. No, you can't get housed by South Alabama like that. You just can't get depanced like that. Yeah, at home, no less. That was, that was something else. You know, speaking of depants, I, I have to mention Arizona State because Fresno State, if we're talking G, just to take a second to talk about G5 contenders, Fresno State right now is sort of taking my lead. They they had a couple of weird weeks there where they struggled in, with a Eastern Washington FCS team that's typically good, but had previously been blown out by uh, North Dakota State here in, in a game in Minneapolis in U.S. Bank Stadium. But um, they seem to be one of those big contenders right now. I mean, there's a few others, but right now, if, if I was going to pick one, I'm going with Fresno State at this time to be the, the team that might be that G5 program to, to break that, that previous run by the American Conference on getting into the New Year's Six. I think Mountain West, Mountain West may have a chance, and especially since Boise State simply doesn't look like the Boise State of old. Um, I'm very curious. Air Force, too. Air Force has is, is also got that shot, but at this point, Jeff Tedford knows how to coach a good quarterback, and, and he's got them looking pretty strong. And, and I feel bad for uh, Arizona State because he lost Rashada. He was injured. Um, and for a while now, it seems like he might be out for potentially even the rest of the season. This is going to be just a basket case for, uh, for uh, a new coach at Arizona State right now. You know what? We typically like to wrap these up in about an hour. It has been a... Uh, We've let the last couple of shows go so long that I'm kind of relieved that I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this one up. I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who tuned in, all of you who, who joined the conversation. This is RCFB Talk 158. My name is Bob Akhairi. I hope your teams have a great week four, and we're going to be talking about it next week. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.